afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is when you listen to this. Welcome once again to Gaming Street Irregulars. My name is James Irish, uh, joined as always by Chrissy Harding. Hi everyone! I want to apologize for the uh, gap in releases. We've been, uh, or rather I've been, having my rhythm disrupted by a overly booked social life. The buck stops here. We are going to get back on track this week. That's a mm-hmm. promise. He's gonna. We're gonna try. Yeah, but that—that's why I kind of think of this as my podcast because I'm the one doing the back end of the work. No, I'm just. Yeah, I'm just here to look cute. <laughs> and you do very well for it, especially with an audio medium. <laughs> so, we decided to make this really, really easy on James. We are actually going to talk about something that happens locally every year. And that is the inductees to the Toy Hall of Fame at Strong Museum. Um, Strong Museum, National uh, National Museum of Play, is actually here in Rochester, New York, where we are based out of. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the Toy Hall of Fame, so James can kind of have a moment of rest. So Strong Museum itself actually was created in 1969 by Margaret Woodbury Strong. Uh, Margaret Woodbury Strong um, was one of the many millionaires in Rochester who like to try to make Rochester a better place. So towards the end of her life, this woman traveled and she loved games, loved playing games, toys, anything. The woman had one of the most amazing sense of play and she loved encouraging play. So she created the museum also to show off the average American life in the early from eight. She had an actual time period of, of 1830 to 1940, because that was kind of the span of her life and her father's life. Her father, actually, um, Henry Alvara Strong, created Strong Memorial Hospital, which now houses also Galisano Children's Hospital. Um, so this is a very huge family in our area, and, and they make quite an impact. I even want to say even across um, the United States as well. 2006, uh, Strong actually uh, won the right to be called the National National Museum of Play by the United States government, and it now ha- um, houses the N- Toy Hall of Fame. And every year, the Toy Hall of Fame inducts about three to four inductees, which anyone can nominate a toy or anything to it. And it just has to meet a certain criteria, and that criteria is iconic status, longevity, discovery, and innovation. So iconic status must be, must be widely um, recognized. Longevity is, this is not a toy that just popped on the scene for two years and went off into the sunset. It is a toy that even to this day, people, when you say the name, they know what it is. So you're not going to be seeing the board game Bedbugs in the Toy Hall of Fame. Nope. You also won't see the Ouija board in the Toy Hall of Fame, and that's a totally different story. But that that and that's an interesting story for that one. Uh, and discovery and innovation. So this is a game that teaches that helps us discover and inspires innovation. It inspires kids to do other things and to be more creative. So those are those are the criteria right there. And every year you can even do it now. You can go on to the Strong Museum Toy Hall of Fame and it says don't see your favorite toy because they have a list of all the inductees. You can still nominate your toy. And for this year, they had quite a list of toys that were um, inducted. Trying to find it here because 
it goes every year. So there was 12 finalists, and that include Battleship, Billiards, Cabbage Patch Kids, Fisher Price Corn Popper. If you don't know what that is, that was a little thing that popped corn that every kid had as a child. Yeah, it's you a little vacuum sound. cleaner-like thing. Yeah, yeah. You all, we all know the sound. Like as soon as we hear it, we're like, "Oh, that's a corn popper!" Like we all know the sound of it. Mahjong, the game, Masters of the Universe, the Pinata, Settlers of Catan, and the Fire Engine, along with today, this the ones who got inducted this year, American Girls Doll, the board game Risk, and Sand. Yeah. Sand. Sand. Well, Which the thing isn't as silly as it sounds, folks. It's, no, it is. <laughs> it's a good one. Jan- John Stewart has already roasted us for at least a couple years about the one oddball. So the fun thing with how we do the inductees, how they do the inductees at Strong, is they always have commercialized toys, and then one that we all remember playing with. The boxes in there, the ball, the bat. Like something that's not commercialized, the blankets in there. That was my favorite when we did the blanket. They, there's always one toy that is something that's not commercially produced, but is still loved by kids today. And this year it was the sand that we picked. Now, of course, John Stewart is just doing this all in jest. You know, it, it's Bill Grist for comedy. But we still, well, the first year he picked on us because when they inducted, what was it? The the bat, I think it was the bat, or no, the stick. The stick got the inducted stick. in, and he was like, "The stick? What's next? The ball? Wait, the ball is already in there." So when he did that, I worked in public programs at Strong at the time, and Corey Corey Cry, who was our director, because it made national news, and the only thing he had to show was just our curators talking, which I love our curate, love the curators at Strong to death, but they're dry as hell. So we decided if we were going to make national TV in this way, we would do them as skits. So there was a five-year period where I was part of it, where we would do the, when we would introduce the inductees, we did them as skits for each toy. And my niece, I think, did the last round of it with the Super Soaker. She was one of the presenters for the Super Soaker and the Puppet. Go Haley. She and she had a great time doing it. She really enjoyed it. Um, but that's what we used to do. So a sense of play in when we're talking about play. And the other thing that the Toy Hall of Fame does put out is we do have the Brian Sutton and Smith Library and Archives of Play, along with the American Journal of Play. And there is a whole thing of studies um, on the importance of play. Um, which we're actually going to have a friend of mine, Sarah uh, Sarah Peters Fisher, come on at some point to talk about the power of play in education because that's very fascinating and it's a lot of fun. So why don't we talk about this year's inductees, James? Yeah, one of the reasons I was excited to talk about this year's inductees is all three of them we can tie back to the gaming hobby, whether it be board games, uh, video games, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And... When, when you look at the first one in alphabetical order, the American Girl Dolls, you wouldn't think it, but we'll get there. The yeah. American Girl Dolls debuted in 1986, which they were, I believe they were preceded by the American Girl Books. They kind of came out at the same time. The books did get started, and that's with Pleasant Rowling. She's the creator of the American Girl Dolls. She was trying to find a way to teach American history 
that would be engaging and empowering both to mostly to girls. That's her that I'm, we're not going to lie. There's that's the target. The target is girls. Nothing wrong with it. Nope. Pleasant Rowling was an actual educator. She was a, um, a history teacher. So that kind of started the historical collection of of the American Girls doll. And she was very hardcore on they had to be historically accurate. She wanted them as accurate as possible. And and they have been stuck around to the same. My nieces had American Girls dolls. I don't think I did. I also wasn't really that heavily into dolls. G.I. Joe, He-Man, and Transformers, yes. Barbie dolls and the other stuff, eh, I guess. I, I was into My Little Ponies and Smurfs too, but that was like the only part I was really girly. But what was interesting was she did a lot of research. So when these toys came out, their accessories were historically accurate. Like a what a 1940s radio, 1930s typewriter, an 1820s Adobe oven. And these accessories are a cottage industry unto themselves. Combined together in association with each doll, they can cost more than the doll itself. Yeah. And there and I'm not going to say American Girls doll did not have their controversies. A lot of people pointed out how a majority of the historic dolls were white. So, and American Girls doll took that in stride. They go, you know what? You're right. Let's fix this. And they did. They came out with a whole bunch, like Josefina, who was Spanish-American, uh, Kaya, who was a Native American, and I think Addie, who is a African-American young lady who is working for her freedom during the Civil War. And they really wanted to make sure people fully understand and they did not hold back in their stories of any of these uh dolls they let you know the problems that were going on at the time with Addie's, it was the civil war and the underground railroad and that dream of freedom kit uh kit kidding uh kitteridge was she was it was she was during the 1930s the great depression and how her family had to open up rooms in their homes so they can have money Molly was father went away during war during World War One, uh, so they didn't hide any of the more traumatic events going on, but they showed how these girls triumphed and how they adapted. And outside of that part of it, they were just so much fun to play with. They had all these. They had pets for them. Like they had a nice little cot. Like you could, okay, you had Felicity. Well, here's Felicity's pet from her storybooks that you could buy. And I think it was like 2000s, you could actually turn yourself into an American Girl style. So you could have a little doll that looked just like you or one that you designed. They started doing that, too, where girls can design their their favorite, their doll for themselves. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to the American Girls doll store in New York City as like an early 20 something. And I'm like, I, walking in, I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, it was just dolls as far as the eye can. It reminded me of the old F.E.O. Schwartz, like the original F.E.O. Schwartz before it closed. And now they mm. opened a new one, and I do want to go to that because that one looks really cool. Another one to the bucket list. Yes, it is. We, if we ever end up in New York City, we are so going there. And then we have to visit Miranda. So, so, James, you maniac, what does this have to do with gaming? I'll tell you. A little over a year ago, in around September 2020, the group announced Courtney. And Courtney is an 80s gamer girl. 
Yes. Oh my God. Yes. The best part, one of her principal accessories is a two scale replica of a Pac-Man machine that is fully playable. (laughs) Now you tell me that's not going after my heart. No, that totally is going after her. And I'm sure if we if we were back in, in the 80s and Courtney was a living person in the area, I'm sure you would be trying to flirt with her too. Hmm. Well, I probably would not have known how to flirt because I would have been seven or eight at the time. What? what no one truly knows how to flirt. Hmm. I would have been more like, how did you get that high score? Teach me. Teach me, master. <laughs> and the thing and is the other accessories are so loaded with nostalgia she's got a pac-man lunchbox that comes mm-hmm. with a canister of cheese puffs that looks like the old the vintage planters canisters oh my gosh one accessory is a care bears sleepover set which comes with a two-scale replica of bedtime bear and a sleeping bag, which is the same pattern as the bed sheet and, and uh, comforter my little sister had when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. So this just hits so close to home. Yeah, I, they do an amazing job taking the essence of a decade and turning it into a very educational and authentic experience and i really feel really old because i mean the fact that we they did a character for the 80s james which means they're saying it's history makes me feel really old Mm. (laughs) that was our childhood yep but that's how they connect but they that's how they they connect is is i mean think about it girls who were kids in the 80s are now mothers who would not want to buy this for their kid being like, oh, my God, this was my childhood. Like and be explained like I used to do this as a girl, too. So it's it's they do a really good job and they've have endured for so much that it's really kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of things that have endured for quite some time, we turn our attention to the second inductee, the board game Risk. <laughs> now, Risk was invented by French film director Albert Lamoris and originally released in 1957 in, pardon my poor French, La Conquête du Monde, The Conquest of the World. Mm -hmm. It was bought by Parker Brothers two years later and was modified a little bit and became Risk the Continental Game, later becoming Risk the Game of Global Domination. And this is the ultimate transitional board game from just kids playing Monopoly and Sorry and Scrabble to getting into the larger hobby where there's games like Settlers of Catan and Carcassonne and Ticket to Ride and the the Euro games we enjoy into our adulthood. Mm -hmm. Because Risk is a game with a little deeper tactical bent to it. Indeed. Risk is, uh, the rules for Risk are very simple, but it's one of those games that's easy to learn, but it's very difficult to master. And it did inspire a lot of more recent games such as Axis and Allies, Settlers of Catan. It is definitely um, a resource, kind of a a resource management game in some level, but, and also strategy as well. I believe the game Diplomacy could be listed amongst those as well. Yes, it can. 
Pro tip, never turn a copy of Diplomacy upside down to look at the description. Never. No, no don't do it. That's too many components. And when I was a freshman in college, I had to put them all back when I turned it upside down. It took me an hour. Yeah. And the, the thing with Frisk, too, I'm gonna, is this is, I, whenever anyone talks about games, uh, that they say, you know, like, you know how every year they're like, games that you play with your family that will cause the most fights. And everyone's like, Monopoly. And the, nobody oh, mentions no, risk. risk. Nobody mentions Risk, though. And I sit there, I'm like, are you kidding me? Have you not watched, like, I have watched Trash Talking during Risk between my best friend and my nephew and my cousin. Like, an eight-year-old was trash talking during Risk. He also trash talked during Monopoly, too. But, like, this was the game that started fights, like. There was a while when I played this game with Dino, like he kicked my butt so bad. I didn't talk to him for a week in high school, which was hard because we were in the musical together. <laughs> like, oh, my God, this this is this is the game that like that should be like number one on all those lists. Like, forget Monopoly. I can forgive Monopoly mm-hmm. risk. I cannot forgive you, <laughs> especially when they gang up on you. Of course, there's a great many variations of Risk. There's been rules revisions over the years. There's been licensed versions, which of course include things like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, and Hasbro's own Transformers. Yes. If you want to talk about video games for Risk, there's been a bunch. There's been numerous editions on home computers, starting with the Commodore 64 version in 1988. And it would go on to PC, Amiga, Genesis... Game Boy Advance, and most recently the Nintendo Switch. Yep. But my favorite one of these, I, one I got a lot of playtime with, even just in the, the single player experience, was Risk Factions on Xbox oh Live God, Arcade. Yes. It included both the, the original board game Risk and a Factions mode, which introduced five different silly animated factions. You could play as just plain old American style soldiers. Or goofy cats, or mm-hmm. goofy robots, or mm-hmm. goofy zombies, or goofy yetis. Which is my favorite mode ever, is the yeti one. Oh my god, that's that's my favorite mode of that game when I used to play it, was that. And also, you can also play it on your phone. There is Risk the Official game, which was de- developed for the iPhone, um, iPod Touch, and the iPad. And that was back in 2010. They still have, available, to my still knowledge. available, and there is a licensed version for Android devices and PCs on Steam, um, which can you know, which does the same thing. There was supposed to be apparently a TV adaption of this. There was a rumor of that back in January of 2021 that they were actually going to do an adaptation of the game from House of Cards cre- uh, creator uh, Boo Willimon, which if anyone could probably do it, it would be Bo. Because he hmm. did a really good job with House of Cards. So I have to give kudos to that one. Well, if better risk than Monopoly. Yeah. Or better risk than Popomatic Trouble. Can you imagine a TV series based on that? Listen, we actually saw them make a TV series based on Clue. <laughs> I think well, yeah, but Clue possible. has characters. Oh, don't worry. They would make characters for it. Still, they've they've also made a TV series based on Frogger. Yeah. Now that's something we should turn into an episode in a few weeks. We need to do a Frogger episode. You are correct. So add that we'll add that to the list of plans. Yeah. We have plans, people, plans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. so So our third inductee 
is uh, the one we I said we were going to get back to, and that is not as unusual as it sounds. Nope. Sand. Nope. It is definitely not. So sand is um, granular. So I'm going to actually go, just in case there's people out there who don't know what sand is, it can happen. It's a granular material composed of finely divided rock and mineral particles. It is based off of a silica, also known as uh, silicon dioxide, or CiO2. Um, and it usually is actually in the form of, uh, sometimes we'll actually turn its little mini quartz. If you ever actually look at a little sand particle, it is actually a really, really, really small form of quartz. So there you go, people. There's your sand. That was about all I was going to do on the science portion of that one. I was not going into the full-scale depth of it. But come on, who does not remember making sandcastles? Absolutely. And, you know, that that's the most obvious thing. You know, I I remember my mom telling me when she had Mackenzie over when she was maybe three or four. And she was playing with the sand, with, the, with a little toddler sandbox. And mm-hmm. just out of nowhere, she burst out with, I'm so happy right now. Melted mom's heart. Oh, my God. That would melt anyone's heart. Seeing a three-year-old just suddenly, like, just is having a good time goes, I'm so happy. And you kind of want to sit there like, oh, hmm. Not enough to have kids, though. I will spoil them rotten, though. Not only just the idea of playing sandcastles and that, but, you know, actually, there's a whole genre of video games based off of the idea of the sandbox. You know, with mm-hmm. Minecraft and Tiaria and just being able to just create your own world. Like, that was like the best thing about, you know, sand is just, uh, yes, it got into everywhere. But hey, add water to it and you had mud pies. And you thought you mm-hmm. were the world's greatest baker. And then yep. trying to feed it to your dog. And your dog's just like, dude, this is not real food. Fork over the food. Like you just said about uh, sandbox games, you can trace that line. A building with sand to building mm-hmm. with blocks. And from building with blocks to building with Lego. And then from Lego to the modern sandbox game, just like Minecraft. Yep. You know, and that that's one of the beautiful things about sand. Yeah, sand is just, it's one of those things that even as I, I dare anyone who's ever gone to the beach and, and tell me you did not at some point try to take a fistful of sand and try to kind of make a little pile of it and try to make a design out of it while no one was looking. <laughs> There's also burying yourself in the sand. I have seen oh, yeah. that happen where people lay down and let people cover half of their body up with the sand and make a design out of it. Like And sand is a perfect staging place for your other toys' adventures. I mean, come on, a, a desert ops op, uh, scenario for your G.I. Joe toys or having yeah. Barbie do, go, going on a surfing holiday or... Or yeah. maybe, or maybe using your Tonka trucks to build the sandcastle. Exactly, or you know, taking your your Master of the Universes and you're you're going across this, you know, one of the many many deserts that were in Internia, or even just creating your own world, like taking just different toys that you had and and creating your own. Like I did, I actually turned, I actually created a, a Wild West town using all the different little small. F- plastic smurfs i had i didn't play smurf village i turned it into a wild west town with the lone ranger (laughs) i had fun i always had to have a vigilante i was a huge fan of that but like the thing with sand was was 
it's it's a blank slate. You could turn it into whatever you want. It did not have to be a desert. You could easily go and grip, pick up um, broken like leaves and stuff, put them down, and you had a forest. The thing with sand was it's so manipulable. You can turn it into whatever you wanted. And this isn't even getting into specially designed uh, arti- artistic sand. Oh no, the kinetic sand where you can sit there and you can smush it up and it stays together and you can like it's pretty much clay but it's sand. Right. Like, I I remember when kinetic sand we actually at Strong got a sample of kinetic sand to play with because they wanted us to see what we thought about it. and that was so much fun. Like I went back to being a kid. I'm like, oh my god, I love this. Like, but I was actually thinking of. Uh... One little uh, art, art little project thing we, my sister and I got when we were kids, it was this image that you had to peel layers of uh, <gasps> of a sticker sheet in a certain order and pour the colored sand on them. Oh my god! Yes, one at a oh time. Sand art. I think it's called sand yes. art. Sand art. They're, oh my god! Yes. I always wanted one of those, and my mom literally looked at me and was like, you would have it everywhere but on the actual sheet itself. And you know the worst part about it? She wasn't wrong. (laughs) She really wasn't wrong. Um, No, I really would have had it on everywhere. Like, sand art in a bottle, I could do. It's contained. Trying to do that little peel thing, and you pour the different colored sand down, and then you shake it. Yeah, no, that would have been every. That would have been worse than glitter in my house. You know, the herpes of the craft world. Like that oh, would have been. You would. We would still like. We would probably have still been finding it in my house when we moved. Like that's probably how how my chaotic energy would have sh- tossed that stuff all over the place. Oh my god, yes! But those were so cool watching those watching those commercials of them. Oh yeah. That was cool. And they still do it now. There's actually still people who, inspired by the that stuff, will actually do sand art on sidewalks mm-hmm. like that. You know, and I know there's a couple even here in Rochester, and it's just so cool watching them do it. It's like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. Yes, yes. It's like the light bright, but with more mess. So I think that about covers it. Uh- but we are going to come back to this subject many, many, many times. Maybe look at three years worth of inductees at a time. Yeah, I mean, I will tell you, the dollhouse for a very long time was the Susan, Susan Lucci of like of the Toy Hall of Fame. Like it got nominated every year and it never made it in. Kind of like how Susan Lucci always kept getting nominated for Emmys and never won. Oh, wow. Until one year she did. And then one year we just decided we had enough of everyone telling us we had to put in the dollhouse. So we put in the dollhouse. Hmm. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, this is it's I kind of like I never really had a year where I didn't enjoy the inductees. I really do like this year's. I really do. Yeah, it's a it's a fun trio. Mm hmm. Now, we're going to take a very short break, and when we return, we'll have today in gaming history.
Want to support the Irregulars? Head over to www.patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a nonprofit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar, you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at k-r-i-s-s-i at fc3roc.org and me at j-a-m-e-s at fc3roc.org. At the moment, we're still working out most social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool, and begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. Yeah, asking, that's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind, so if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. Okay, this is a big one, folks. Mm. Because today, in 2001, mm-hmm. Nintendo released the GameCube in North America. There were some really good games on that. Yes, and among the launch titles released that day were All-Star Baseball 2002, mm-hmm. Batman Vengeance, that Crazy Taxi, marking one of the first times a Sega game would appear on a uh, Nintendo platform, Dave Mira Freestyle BMX 2, mm-hmm. FIFA Stock Soccer 2002. That was actually not a bad game. Okay. Madden NFL better. 2002. Mm. We had Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader. Yes! Super Monkey Ball, another Sega title, making its debut in general and on the GameCube. We had Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, mm-hmm. Wave Race Blue Storm, mm-hmm. and the gem of this launch window crown, Luigi's Mansion. Yes, I love Luigi's Mansion. I, I had a feeling you would. After all, Oscar's a polter pup. Yes, yes he is. He's now my polter pup. Can't be here in person, but he could be here in spirit. My little right. polter pup. Who's your good little popper butt? Honestly, no. That Louis, The really sad thing is I did not have a GameCube. I did not play Luigi's Mansion until it was re-released on the DS. The 3DS. Okay. So, but the Polterpup actually was not introduced to Luigi Mansion until Luigi, Luigi Mansion Dark Moon. Right, the sequel. The sequel. And he was just way too damn cute. They had to keep mm-hmm. him. If they didn't keep him, I would have been fighting them on that. Naturally. You're so cute. So, yeah, you're right. This is a big day for because GameCube. Also, one of my other favorite games was on the GameCube. And that was, um, we talked about in the Cthulhu one, uh, um, Internal Darkness, uh, Sanity's Requiem. That's right. 
That was a GameCube title. That was a great yeah. This game. the GameCube was the last time Nintendo would really go into the high end technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to outdo tech spec wise the PlayStation Two and the Xbox, and yet they still somehow wound up in third place. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is then and after that, Nintendo was just like, forget it just kind of wash their hands of the whole, we're not going to compete with you two. We're going to just do our own thing, which I think was the smartest move that they did because in the end, they actually innovated where all, all the PlayStation, and I know I'm going to get some hate for this, but the PlayStation and the Xbox to me, they're just the same thing. You know, okay, it's the newest version. Woo, it's still the same technology as before. Where, like, the Wii had, like, the motion controls where you got up and bounced around. The Switch, where you can go between a portable handheld and your TV set. Like, to me, I, I kind of like, yeah, you, that's more interesting to me than just, oh, it's a console that I have to pay, what, $400 for? Same as the last one, just better graphic card? Like, come on. Don't at me, people. Well, I'm right. I'm going to say you're not necessarily wrong. I'm not also necessarily right either. I just have a bias. But nothing wrong with that. So long as you know that's what it is. Oh, I know. You can have your bias. (laughs) It's one I actually kind of agree with. Yeah. But yeah, like, good for Nintendo. Like... The GameCube was not a bad. Is it really was not a bad console? And I know it was right an now, excellent console. It was an amazing console, and they're actually fighting to have that join the Switch Online, the Switch Online lineup. Which because now we have sixty four and Sega, and they actually someone cracked the code, and there's an open spot there for a fifth console. So we don't know what the fifth console that they're going to add is, but I kind of hope it's the GameCube. I would hope too. I just worry about. File sizes being too big for streaming? That would be the only, that would be the downside to it. But technology, but technology has, has, has improved by leaps and bounds. So who knows? Yeah. Uh, If I'm betting, I'm betting it's going to be the Game Boy. I wouldn't mind that one either, actually. There were a lot of really good titles on the Game Boy. I really want the Game Boy Donkey Kong back. That was a good one. That really was a good one. But I think we're going to leave it here for this week. On behalf of Chrissy Harding, I'm James Irish. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, game on. Bye, everyone.